3: racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Tops market. The
0: suburban area everywhere, we
4: must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs to help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're
5: going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. Today on the program, we'll be talking about... A lot of different community services, among them youth services. Coming up in just a little bit, Jay Moran will be with Tiffany Lewis. She runs Confident Girl Mentoring Program. Youth services is part of what we will get into for this first segment as well. Chandra Redfern is with us from BFNC, the Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. She is their CEO. They do so many different things. I know if you were here uh, last week, you may have heard Jay Moran talking with the director of their HOPE program, Daisy Ball, and that deals with some of the issues, housing, senior services. That's only part of what they do, so we're going to delve into the rest of what they do to try and get some interesting perspectives on the neighborhood and on the city of Buffalo. Chandra, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
5: I, I think it's interesting here to look at the vastness of— and. I, The news guy in me says, oh, Dave, don't make it a puff piece. But the vastness of the services that you folks provide um, and some of the ones that Daisy spoke of last week, I think, are are very self-evident. I say residential services and housing. People know what that is. I say senior services. People know what that is. But if I look on the list of what you do here, there's two that I think we need to explore maybe a little more deeply. Care management, what is care management as as you guys define it and and express it?
0: Well, that's a great question, um, Dave, because a lot of people say what is care management, yeah. right? We advertise for it and it's like, okay, well, what do you do? So, well, I do care management. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we have a care management department. Yeah. But actually, care, think of care management as advocates. And so we provide care management services for different populations. And what care managers do is they work with people to identify issues that they have, whatever it is, and they figure out what services to refer and link them to. And they make goals with them and they monitor their progress. They help them when there's bumps in the road. And that's really what they do in a nutshell. So you could have a care manager that works with you on, you know, housing, Maybe someone's homeless. Maybe they don't know how to pay their rent. They could work with someone on um, getting a job, going back to school. all Anything that's going to help make your life better. Because the ultimate goal is to make sure that the person is in a place where there's a sense of wellness, right? And so we have to address issues that may interfere with people going to doctors or getting other services that they need. And sometimes it's just someone doesn't have enough food. Care manager may... Make them a referral to a food pantry or talk about, you know, what type of entitlements are they um, eligible for?
5: A connection between people and the services they need and an assessment maybe of what those needs are.
0: Exactly. That's exactly it.
5: Because the context, I think, that most people hear the phrase in is within their own primary care doctor. Uh, Chronic conditions have a care manager to make sure, I don't know, your, your, your diabetes or your overeating, whatever, is taken care of. You just described it in a much more holistic way than I thought you would.
0: Right. Absolutely right. Most of us know we go to our doctors and then there is, you know, the care manager that's dealing with your A1C and those things. A, all right? that. Yeah. Um, but our care managers, they're going to work with you and they want to make sure you go to your doctor's appointments and they want your A1C to be good. But they're also going to look at the fact that Maybe you run out of money every month. So you're not necessarily eating foods that are working for you and your diabetes. And they're going to come to a a solution with you, right? They're going to say, okay, do you need to go to a nutritionist? Do we need to see about, you know, food programs that can assist you? Do you need to learn about how to prepare things in, in a healthier way? Those are the types of things that some of the care managers work with people on. So they actually work in conjunction with primary care physicians, with mental health counselors, psychiatrists, all of those medical professionals.
5: We have talked on this program often about the social determinants of health. Is that what's at the root of what you're doing here in the health realm?
0: It is. So, simply stated, we work to provide innovative solutions that address the social determinants of health. So, what are the social determinants of health? In simplest terms, it's what's happening in a person's life that is prohibiting them from being their healthiest self, from accessing physical or mental health treatment.
5: But I think that takes away some of the context. Whenever I've heard a discussion about social determinants, it looks at things that are already stacked against a person. Poverty or housing conditions or the just the stress of life. They don't sleep at night because of the neighborhood they're in. There are a lot of incidences where where you live determines, there's the word again, social determinants of health.
0: Absolutely. So we know that there are areas, right, such as uh, the east side of Buffalo, that, you know, there are even more challenges because of where you live, because of your socioeconomic status, because of the color of your skin that interfere with your ability to be well, right? And so people, you know, they're automatically, I think, coming into life sometimes with, you know, the deck stacked against them. Part of what care managers do is they say, "Okay, we know that there are these issues, but let's take it one step at a time and talk to us about what your goals are. What is it that you'd like to do?" And you know, sometimes the goals are very small for people. You know, sometimes it's, you know, "I want to feel comfortable in my home." And then the uh, care manager is looking at okay what what's going to make that happen and when you start really digging in you'll find out there's a lot of other issues so for example we may have had someone that maybe they were living someplace and they didn't feel comfortable where they were living so they may work with that person to say okay let's figure out how we can address this housing situation something like that it may be that they've had an experience that has um left them being traumatized and they're dealing with some PTSD. Okay, so let's talk about where you may be able to get some counseling for that. Um, And then they're going to work with that counselor to learn what are the coping skills that they're talking to that person with so that when life happens and that person calls the care manager, they know what they've been learning in their therapy sessions. So it's really a holistic thing, right? You have to deal with every aspect of a person's life.
5: Is there a theme as these people come to you and say, I have a problem that needs to be fixed? And I imagine I've just simplified it because they (laughs) probably don't say it that way. Right. Um, Is there one problem that keeps recurring all the time?
0: That's a good question. You know.
5: There's no theme.
0: People don't have enough money. Right. They don't. They're not able to make ends meet. They're not able to take care of their families, themselves, And that creates a lot of stress for individuals, right? Some of them are working and they still cannot make ends meet. So we do hear that theme a lot. We see it a lot. And the other piece is that people are somewhat apprehensive about going to the doctor, Um, or seeing a counselor. And so we have to do a lot of work with them. So someone may walk through our door and we may say, okay, they're dealing with some things and we want them to see someone, but they're not going to do it right away. Mm. So we have to develop a relationship with them, really get to know them, figure out, you know, what do you want to work on first? And what we have found is that at some point people say, okay, you know, now I'm ready to do this or that. But even with that, it's looking at who we refer people to. And so that's why it's important for us to work collaboratively with other community partners.
5: I can picture the reluctance to engage with a doctor as being a constant. But what about the other one, uh, poverty? Is there a trend line? Are we seeing it get better, get worse? What what kind of movement have you seen over the past uh, even year? Let's look at it a year.
0: So I, I think from where we stand um, as a community-based organization that helps people, we've seen the needs increase. So things have not necessarily gotten better for the people that we service. I, I can speak to that. So we see an increase in the need for our food pantry. We've seen an increase in people needing utility assistance because, you know, the heating bills, the electric bills are going up. We we see those things. We see that the cost of food is Going up, you know, people are, you know, spending $100 maybe if they have that, right? And they leave with one bag. And that's not going to help them feed their family of four people for the month. And so people are really still continuing to struggle. I I think the prices, um, also when we look at the population that we service, transportation is an issue. Mm -hmm. So it's getting to the places that they need to get to. So if you can only shop at say a corner store, right? You know, um there's things you're not getting and the prices are going to be higher than if you can go to uh, a market. And that's one of the things we do address and I think Daisy spoke about it when she was last on our our transportation fund. You
5: will take people to the yes. Whole Foods in Amherst or the Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. You will drive people wherever they need to go, Southgate Plaza, West Seneca because it's a different kind of grocery store. Correct. You'll you'll just take people to the places they need to be.
0: Right. And so they do have shopping trips. Um, Primarily our seniors use them. And they go to the uh, first-rung suburbs. So there's uh, more of a variety in what people can select from. and, And they appreciate that.
5: And I think, obviously, the discussion about Tops being just the one grocery store for the east side has been spotlighted and focused on even more since May 14th. Um, but it also sounds like this is a problem, as many of them are, that pre-existed. And you are someone that's in the community and you've worked on a lot of these pre-existing problems. What's changed or what has it been exacerbated by May 14th?
0: So um, what, what you have is you have people that are have been re-traumatized. You have people that are traumatized. Um, you know, one of the things we've also seen is the increase um, in the fear among our youth and our young people. And I think a lot of times when things like this happen, we, we sometimes forget about the young people. But, you know, we have young people that they just they're not certain of what the future holds. I mean, they already were dealing with issues prior to this. But, you know, they've said, well, you know, we don't understand, you know, people were minding their business in a store and someone came and did that. And why did that happen? And then there's a set of young people that said, well, you know, I thought you all were supposed to make this a better place for us to live. Mm. And so, you know, what's going on? Wow. How do you answer that one? That's a hard one to answer. Amen. Yeah. That's a hard one to answer. You know, I I always try to talk to them and our staff try to talk to them about, you know what? we have to have hope that there is something better and we each have to do our piece, right. To help make our community a better place. And so we help them explore like what is their contribution going to be to community. And for some of them that helps them say, okay, I, I can control what I put out. Um, but we, you know, we've we had to refer a lot of our young people to counseling services. We um, have hosted uh, groups for our young people so that they can just talk about how they feel and, and what they think and what's going on. And um, I think for me, that was really shocking to see that response. Um, amongst young people we we knew there was a response amongst our seniors a lot of them are still um very hesitant to go out um it helps that you know we have staff that'll go with them for shopping trips and things of like that but still very hesitant but the young people i think was very surprising for us
5: and you're saying specifically since the shootings on five fourteen correct what age group
0: so we're talking about uh twelve through eighteen nineteen
5: mm Do you just provide them counseling or or maybe a peer session? How how do you get over that hurdle?
0: So our youth services has uh, several components. So, I mean, obviously there is the education pieces that they do in the school district and, and they do in the community, but then we have a peer mentoring group. So they're able to provide support for each other, um, which I think is great, right? Because it's not just coming from adults, but there's other young people making suggestions and and encouraging them if, if they do need to get some help, right? And then um, we have a, a rites of passage program, which is for, you know, uh, young men. And they do a lot of work. The staff will bring in area experts to meet with the young people and talk about various issues and help them with uh, character education.
5: When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about character education. Sandra Redfern is here from BFNC, the Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. Just basically, people I think know it as BFNc as they're getting off the uh, 33. There's BFNc Drive right there. Absolutely, that's you folks. You have a lot of different services. We'll hone in on youth services after this. This is Buffalo. What's next on
3: WBFO? There are a lot of great ways to spend eight dollars a month and get a blue check mark. So why not become a member of WBFO, your NPR station? You'll be a verified member on the spot, and your money will support high-quality news and information. For fun, we'll send you a snazzy window cling and a travel mug, both with our logo and the blue check mark that shows everyone you're a verified member of WBFO. Just call 1-877-456-8870 or go to wbfo.org to make your pledge. Thank you.
2: Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to WNED.org vehicles.
0: Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today.
6: This is Buffalo, What's Next?
5: And this is Dave Debo. I want to underline that point, by the way. If at any point during this program, or even in future weeks, if there's something you'd like to say to us, we don't necessarily take calls here, but we do want to engage with you. So one of the best ways to do that, if you have our app, hit the Talk to Us button, and you can actually record a comment there. Uh, Coming up in about a week or so, we're going to have uh, school superintendent Tonja Williams on. She's someone who we certainly want you to start to engage with and again we're not gonna open it up for calls but if you say hey Dave ask her about da 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 guess what you can actually record that da, da 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 comment on your own on the app send it to us if you've got the WBFO app just hit the talk to us button. Right now we're talking with Chandra Redfern she's the CEO of BFNC. One of the things that they do is youth services and I think for the balance of the program with with the guests that Jay Moran has coming up we're gonna be honing in on youth Your programs do something interesting, or at least express it, Chandra, in an interesting way, um, in terms of risky behavior, that your youth programs are designed to kind of teach a a youth right and wrong, character education. You said that before the break, but with a focus on preventing them from doing stupid stuff, if that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Talk about risk prevention.
0: Um, so, we have uh, one of the programs we have for youth is our comprehensive adolescent pre- pregnancy prevention services, right? Known as CAP. Okay. And so, CAP is a preventative model, and the whole goal is to reduce those uh, risky behaviors that youth tend to engage in to help prevent um, pregnancy, HIV um, AIDS, STDs, STIs, all, all of those things, okay. right? And so, you know, we we provide that education, the education on reproduction and, and those things, obviously. But what we found is that it's really dealing with the character education piece. So it's giving young people um, the tools that they need, right, to to live and to grow. So a lot of the young people we work with, um, they, they come from some you know, serious backgrounds, um, you know, challenging backgrounds. And I think just being a young person today is challenging in and of itself. Um, and so, you know, it's how do, how do I deal with conflict? How do I deal with stress? You know, what does it mean to be a good citizen? You know, um, why is it important for me to also take care of my physical health? All of these different things, you know, how do I budget? You know, um, how do I go for a job interview? All of these skills that at some point in all of our lives, like we we've learned them. Right. And so we found if if we can engage them, teach them some of these things earlier on, then it interferes with them uh, participating in more risky behaviors. Right. Because if I have an after school job or something then I'm not maybe just hanging out after school. Right. right? But I need the skills in order to get that job. And um, one of the things we have, we have a uh, summer employment program where we employ um, kids over the summer, and they learn job skills. So um, we we try to take a a different approach to how we're getting the information out. We do use an evidence-based curriculum. that The team uses that. um, But it's all about developing character in the young person.
5: You said something interesting, though, the idea, um, uh, the direct quote here. If we can engage with them, um, I'm picturing teens that certainly don't want to talk to mom and dad. Do they say, I'm not going to talk to mom and dad, but I'll wander down and chat with the folks at BFNC. How how do you get over that engagement hurdle if we're talking about teens here who probably bottle most everything?
0: Or maybe talk to their peers, Mm -hmm. but not to you and me. Right. So they're not talking to me. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) they are talking to our staff. So we have a really great staff that...
5: How do do you... uh, let, Let me probe that further, though. How do you get them in? How do you get them to engage with a staffer? Do they just knock on your door? Or does your staffer go where they are? How Both.
0: how does that work? Both, right? So um, part of the CAP program is that we provide services in schools, in the Buffalo Public Schools. Right. So they're doing these... Um, character education, evidence-based curriculum in the school. So they meet kids that way, right? And they will have conversations, and these are the other programs that we have. But we also have community-based programs. And so understanding that BFNC has been providing youth services for years. Mm -hmm. So we have that reputation in the community that people will literally walk into our front door and say, my kid has a problem, and can you help me because I don't know what to do? Or we'll have a young person that say, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, is there, is there anything you could do? Or, you know, maybe we had a community event, and they ran into one of our staff. And, and so
5: they'll pull someone aside afterwards. Yeah, you know, okay. or they'll just
0: remember us.
5: Yeah. Uh, th- this might be a good point, too, to mention some of the history and the founding of BFNC, who you are, and the fact that, yeah, you guys have been operating in these neighborhoods, for a long time. Give me the brief history.
0: So brief history. We've been in existence for over 125 years. Um, We come out of the settlement house traditions. We still own two of the original settlement houses.
5: And settlement houses were community centers for early immigrants, sort of, maybe?
0: Sort of, kind of, right? They were houses in the community where... Um, middle and upper class individuals who wanted to address the issues that uh, a lot of immigrants were having coming into America. They lived and they taught them the culture of America and different uh, life skills. Mm. That's what they did.
5: And these settlement houses existed and over time, 125 years, morphed into the kind of community service stuff that you guys are doing right now.
0: Correct. In 1981, our two settlement houses became BFNC. And we still hold true to that settlement house tradition and that we're a place where people can come. And we may not have the service, but we will work very hard to find you the service to help you.
5: One on Monroe and the other on Lemon.
0: Yes. So the, the front entrance actually is 76 Orange. Orange, okay. Yes, 76 Orange. Um, it's a big blue building. It spans the block. So that's the neighborhood house. That is where the youth services um, department is at neighborhood house. And Monroe Street is where our senior services are.
5: And these have been so established in the community for so long that I imagine, uh, it sort of goes back to my question about how do you get the kid in the door? How do you engage with them? Your prominence, your, your stature in the community makes that sort of engagement easier, doesn't it?
0: It does. Um, we, we do get referrals from other entities, but most of our referrals are word of mouth. Um, someone that worked with us some years ago, someone that has a family member or someone that's just like, okay, what is this building in the community? Mm. And I heard that maybe you can help me.
5: Both the communities around the Fruit Belt and on Monroe are predominantly African-American. Yes. Is that an issue? Am I stupid to raise that, or does that somehow inform how you do what you do?
0: Um, It does inform how we do what we do because we've always uh, been intentional about providing culturally appropriate services. Um, Service provision is not a one-size-fits-all. So, yes, I mean, I've gone to college and all those great things. You learn the interventions. But then you have to make sure these things work for the people that they're supposed to work for. So it's not one size fits all. And one of the unique things about BFNC is that we're very intentional about hiring staff that are representative of the community.
5: Is there fear? Is there reluctance to engage with any sort of community service?
0: Um... I think that some of the people we service, they they have reluctance and they are, um, I think they have felt unheard, Mm. maybe. Um, Sometimes it's difficult for people because they want to see someone that looks like them or they just want to have somebody that they think cares. And sometimes when there's a disconnect, they may not come through.
5: All right. You are in a unique position to see a lot of the things that the community needs, Uh, A question that I usually like to sort of end these interviews on is a very broad one. In the broadest sense, what does Buffalo need? Is there a particular unmet need that you folks see in the work that you do? Or just more broadly, uh, Chandra Redfern, you've got a magic wand. Wave it and create whatever it is that needs to be created. What does Buffalo need?
0: Well, Buffalo needs a lot, Um, particularly we, you know, if we look at East Buffalo, um, I think that it would be nice to, again, have those thriving communities that we once had on Jefferson and Bailey Avenue. So I think a lot of, you know, economic development, infusion into communities, actually building communities, right? So let's help current homeowners. Let's put some, you know, new housing in that makes sense for community. Let's look at uh, jobs. You know, mm. for people, and and you know, make sure that there's job preparation programs that work for individuals based on what their interests are. Um, not everybody is going to work in a factory. Not everybody's going to go to college, but there has to be some in between there. And so, I think we need more of that. It's really about um, the economic development and building a thriving community. And for that, you need a mixture of things.
5: And when you say community, To me, that also suggests community-based. Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor at UB has talked a lot about sort of the self-governance that those neighborhoods need. Um, Instead of someone from the outside throwing a plan at them, having something grow up from the community. Am I overstating it? Is that what you meant when you said sense of community?
0: I think in part, yes. I think community has to work together with other entities to make this work, right? Okay. It's not a them or us. It's it's all of us. And, you know, I think, yes, community has to be heard. And I think that we have to learn um, what the other side is saying as well. And we need to figure this thing out together to make this work because it is the entire community that's being affected.
5: Are you optimistic?
0: I'm always optimistic, or I wouldn't do this Or you wouldn't do what you do. Yes.
5: Okay. Long term, if we were going to have this conversation again in about a year, what would be different?
0: I think that we would see more food access. We would see um, much more money flowing into East Buffalo. There's the optimism. (laughs) To address some of these issues, and we would start to talk about, okay, we have the starts of a real thriving community and what's next. I love it.
5: Buffalo, what's next? Chandra,
0: thanks for being here. Thank you for having me.
5: Chandra Redfern is CEO of BFNC, Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. Stay with us in just a little bit. Jay Moran will be here with Tiffany Lewis from Confident Girl Mentoring Program. This is Buffalo, what's next on WBFO.
3: WNED PBS is cooking up a storm with the premiere of our new live and local program. Now we're cooking, Saturday, November 19th, starting at 1.30 p.m. Watch on WNED PBS and stream on YouTube or the PBS video app. Watch as chefs Stephen Foreman, Daniela Kaiser, Michael Wynn, Jason Davidson, and Christine Cushing present an afternoon of delicious meals. Saturday, November 19th at 1.30 p.m. WNED-PBS can go everywhere you go with the WNED-PBS app.
0: Go to the app to watch shows like Kleinhand's Gift to Buffalo, Frontline, and Compact Science. Even watch on the go with the WNED-PBS live stream and a 24-7 stream of WNED-PBS kids. You can also see the full television schedule and what's on right now from the app. Download
2: the WNED-PBS app wherever you get your apps.
3: There are a lot of great ways to spend $8 a month and get a blue check mark. So why not become a member of WBFO, your NPR station? You'll be a verified member on the spot and your money will support high-quality news and information. For fun, we'll send you a snazzy window cling and a travel mug, both with our logo and the blue check mark that shows everyone you're a verified member of WBFO. Just call 1-877-456-8870 or go to wbfo.org to make your pledge. Thank you.
1: And good morning and welcome back to Buffalo. What's next with us? Tiffany Lewis. She is with Confident Girl Mentoring here in Buffalo. Tiffany, thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. Good morning.
1: Good morning to you as well. Uh, Somebody who is uh, always smiling, you tell me, and uh, (laughs) you haven't disappointed me in the last uh, half an hour (laughs) since you've been here, which is interesting because with what you deal with, with Confident Girl Mentoring, you're dealing with some young ladies who have experienced Trauma. How wide ranging does that come?
4: So, Confident Girl Mentoring is a national brand. So, we just don't deal with um, young girls from our inner city. We actually um, empower young girls from North Carolina, from Memphis, Tennessee, Niagara Falls. So, it's really a national brand that really promotes and provides exceptional services. Uh, trauma healing services to our young ladies
1: and how do you go about i guess making contact with these young ladies so we're talking about maybe somebody who's maybe as young as 12.
4: absolutely so our um, young ladies come from um, referrals word of mouth schools uh, communities um, mostly of color uh, we do engage with young girls from uh, for from all races but primarily we deal with black and brown girls how
1: important is that mentoring opportunity, especially, like you said, for young black and brown girls here in the city of Buffalo? I mean, like you said, you're you're bigger than that. But at the same time, we like to focus on our community first and foremost. What do you say?
4: So I would say that um, our young girls, when we're talking about in our inner city communities, um, they're faced with far more challenges than maybe we did when we were growing up. So, the importance of having a confident girl mentoring organization, it not just empowers, but it also instills a greater sense of hope, a greater sense of purpose, and just a greater sense of higher self esteem awareness and to how they can be when they are um, adults. So,
1: your origin story for creating this is really remarkable. Could you share it with our audience, please?
4: Yes. So Confident Girl Mentoring, um, the journey began about five years ago from a conversation that I had with then a 12-year-old girl. Uh, She was so brave to share with me her personal experiences um, dealing with um, sexual abuse Mm. um, and some traumas that she had been dealing with. And then at that point, I realized that as I was talking to that young girl, I saw myself in her, Mm. knowing that, wow, I wish that I could be like her when I was 12 and how she was so brave to come to a complete stranger and share her experiences. And uh, it was about 45 minutes, I drove home in tears, like, wow, because after having that conversation with her she said these words she said I need you to come back she didn't say I wanted you to come back she said I need you to come back and for me that was a call for action and so I went home and I sat at my kitchen table like what can I do and from my kitchen table birth confident girl mentoring which is now an organization that really helps deal with the traumas that our young girls are facing. Um, today and to help them be more confident women.
1: I think this is a there's an obvious answer to this question, but there's no shortage of need here, right? I mean there's young ladies who need need help and need mentoring.
4: That's tr- that's correct. There's about two billion adolescents that are under the age of 30 and unfortunately one in four of them are growing without mentors. That is an alarming rate. And not to mention that of the mentors that are selected, there's a shortage of black mentors to help mentor these black and brown kids.
1: How important is that? Like you said, you you don't always necessarily deal with just inner city kids and not always uh, young ladies of color. But turn it around. How important is it, though, for a, a young lady of color to Look across and see somebody like themselves.
4: Oh, it just also it gives them a heightened sense of self-worth and a heightened sense of confidence, too, because when you see someone that you think, oh, wow, she made it, you know, that can give you the confidence to say, oh, I can make it, too. You know, especially when you're faced with real issues. I have real life experience. So when I am engaging with our young people, it actually opens up a sense of trust for our young girls to say, wait a minute, she went through what I went through. So maybe I can open up to her.
1: And it is interesting how you refer to your experience, some troubling experiences that you had when you're younger, but you don't look at it as some baggage that you're carrying forward.
4: That's true. Like, I feel like I have this thing. Like, I say, like, I'm not a uh, a carrier of my wounds. Like, I am a carrier of wisdom. And I'm able to take my experiences and turn them into positive lessons, not just for myself, but also for our young people. Like I choose to live in a place of peace and love and harmony, where it may take a younger person longer to get to where I am. It didn't happen overnight. But I do know that my purpose is to heal, to inspire and to connect our next generation of young people. Can you talk a little
1: bit about growing up in the city of Buffalo, what it was like for you?
4: Mm-hmm. So um, I grew up in uh, the what's called the Cold Spring area, mm-hmm. which is where um, the 514 mass shooting occurred um, to a single mom. You know, my mom, she did such an amazing job with myself and my brother, who just recently passed away about a year ago for Sorry. sickle cell disease. It's fine. And uh, she was an educator and she didn't play.
2: Like, she, I
4: remember, like, some, like, my punishments were, like, we had to write essays and things, and she would literally (laughs) red line, like, my papers, and, like, now I really admire that, because, she just wanted the best for us. With little that she had, she was able to be a role model for me and for my brother. And and I appreciate my mom, you know, for being the woman, the strength that she is today.
1: Yeah, well, my wife and I always, often, <laughs> often talked when we had our two kids. We couldn't a possibly think of having one more. And b how it would be to try to do this by yourself to so take care of two kids. And so. Uh, in that regard, I mean, you, you understood, I guess, and probably, like you said, that wisdom that you're bringing forward. You understand that what might be missing in some of these young ladies' lives.
4: Right. Absolutely. Um, a lot of it is hope. You know, a lot of it is, you know, we have to, we teach our kids, oh, okay, we well, have to have confidence. You have to have confidence. But what about hope? You know, that's that's something that if we're thinking about a healed and thriving community, our kids also need hope, you know, and um, purpose. And a sense of belonging, and so at Confident Girl Mentoring, we created those spaces, those safe spaces for our young kids to have all those things: hope, healing, and also a sense of connected. Uh, excuse me, a sense of connectedness um, for them to heal and thrive. Take
1: me inside now. Take me. I'm I, I, I'm a client. I'm a 12 year old girl. <laughs> okay, I'm not. But do you, take me inside though. So I show up at uh, Confident Girl Mentoring. Uh, which, by the way, is over at the Arthur Center, right on uh, Genesee. Right? Yes. Yeah. So
4: right now, um, our uh, we just got a home. Okay. Our home. We've been in there since June. Okay. We we um, we dub as an after-school program initially, but now because of our services, I think we're we're we are a year-round program. Um, I don't like to say program. Programs are, are what sure. we offer. We're an organization that provide unlimited programs to our young people. Uh, so, upon entering into our our space, what you'll see is our first our confident minds library. It's important to bring those literacy skills back into our young people and kind of get them off of that computer world, mm-hmm. um, providing them with cultural sensitive books. Um, then if you, if you go to the what, right, I'm just
1: curious. when you say cultural sensitive books, what what books seem to resonate with your your uh, your girls?
4: Um, books about. Um, slavery they love those books we have those type of books there's a book on tesla we have that too um, there's books on Barack Obama, uh, there's books on Rosa Parks, there's books on um, science and technology, what it means to be a woman in STEM education. So they, they have a variety of options that they can choose from. And I can literally tell you that our project that's under Confident Minds is Kids Take Five, and kids are able to take five books per week, and they are encouraged to read five minutes per day. Uh, so that's you know the premises of actually getting access and gaining access to more education, because that's what kids need more of is is a a sense of um, worthiness when we're talking about the education behind literacy. so.
1: And I'm just curious, do you take a, a page out of your mother's book when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> making sure that work gets done? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
4: so, I mean, the, the kids that enter Confident Girl Mentoring, because all of our sources our resources are free, our programs are free, so kids do not, parents don't have to pay for right. programming. Uh, they're really spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In a good way. And and I, I'll, I'll take that word spoiled out and I can just say that I really loved and something that they need is that love and sense of belonging.
1: Um, we're with Tiffany Lewis from Confident Girl Mentoring uh, this morning, so we're, we're we're visiting your your place at uh, the Arthur Center. We got the books. Mm-hmm. Talk about what else the the type of environment you try to create mm. for these young ladies.
4: Yes, yeah, so absolutely. So, Confident Girl Mentoring is a safe place for healing and transformation. In my office, um, there's a uh, a small healing space, which we're, we're trying to grow. And what I do is I don't like to literally take kids and kids to time out. We send them to a place of peace. And so in my space, I give them like a remote. And on the remote, there's like LED lights that's all across my office. And they turn the light to whatever mood that they're feeling, okay. whether it's red, green, um still trying to figure out orange but um that lets me know where they are and so i have these big oversized pillows that the kids can grab and when they come into that healing space there's five questions that the kids are asked one like um how are you feeling today what do you need what services can, can you know can we offer you and sometimes they talk and sometimes they don't which is okay because we force our kids to talk too much where Sometimes they just want us to listen, and so they grab a big jumbo size, oversized pillow, and depending on what mood they're in, we have a real conversation. Um, as a trauma trainer, you know, I'm educated on how to have those uncomfortable conversations with our young people to provide them with a place of healing where they can get to where they need to be.
1: Those uncomfortable conversations, are, are there cues that you're picking up on? How, how do you know when to prod and when to back off a little bit
4: my thing is when kids trust you kids share I don't prod they just talk because they feel a sense of hey I can trust her or there's something that may be uncomfortable and instead of asking certain questions like you know what's wrong it's more so what can I help you with? And once you say those things, it kind of gets them on the edge, like, okay, well, maybe she's not trying to prod, maybe she's really just trying to help. And that's the narrative that we want to shift to when we're having open conversations and communications with our young people.
1: It might be a little difficult to to gauge this, but I'll I'll, I'll put it out there. You know, you mentioned about that presence of the of the phone and the internet and things like that and those types of things that are, I guess aren't necessarily all that peaceful. But what about for young ladies, young ladies of color in the city? Are there other things that are breaking that peace that are troubling them? Do you find, I don't want to say generalities, but there are some themes that you keep encountering?
4: Uh, when you're talking about...
1: when, you, when Again, you know, we're, you're trying to make a peaceful place, build some trust. We know that you know, the world is a crazy place, but what about their worlds, their neighborhoods, their families? Do you, do you see themes inside these these young ladies?
4: Um, I would say that from a positive perspective, sure. the things that, or themes that typically come up is um, just that sense of belonging. You know, kids sometimes feel out of place. They're trying to fit in to environments and societies that makes it very difficult because us as the leaders, they look at us as the leaders, we don't have it together. So the commonality is that us as the adults, we have to first be that example to our young people. And once they see that, okay, we have it together or we are trying to have it together and create that thriving and healed community, it opens up a sense for them to be able to feel empowered and have like hey well our communities can be healed and our communities can be thriving because the adults are getting it right
1: that's uh encouraging to hear for sure that that, that you're getting that sense so what are uh, without being overly specific because there's a lot of confidentiality here obviously but what are some of the things that you're you're hearing from young women what are their what are they struggling with?
4: Um, they're struggling with low self esteem. They're struggling Where does that with, come from? What would you say? Um, honestly it it can come from home. Okay. It can come from if us as adults, I can I, I always go back to the adults, right? Because we're our first role model for our young people, right? And if our young people are seeing that us we're body shaming ourselves or we're saying, Oh well, I'm I'm I don't look appropriate or I don't feel appropriate then unfortunately kids are hearing those things and they're picking up on those and saying, okay, well, maybe I don't feel, you know, as pretty as I Mm -hmm. think I should be because they're hearing those examples from the home. And then also not just from the home, but also our environments, you know, there's so much that is going on. Our kids have it worse than we do when we were growing up and it's, it's harder for them to adjust because our society is pushing the fact that maybe we don't have to. Social media plays a big part of it, you know, and the way that our young girls are, are being are raised. Some people are being raised on social media because that's what they're used to. That's what they're accustomed to. Um, and that we're just trying to break those cycles of mistrust with our, within the community as well.
1: Yeah, that I guess how do you? It's a big question. It's probably one that you try to tackle uh, every day. But how do you go about breaking, like you said, that, that kind of that circle there of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, that cycle, uh, that we're you're kind of describing there? How do you how do you go about t- trying to chisel away at that?
4: Yeah, it's just really reengaging our youth. You know, creating organizations like Confident Girl Mentoring you know, creating safe spaces for our kids to come to even just talk about their issues. Uh, Creating environments that, you know, kids see that diversity is not just one way. We're not just looking at um, inequities, we're looking at equality. You know, how can we actually pull those things together to help our young people be in a more equitable space? Um, You know, a more thriving space, a more healed space. It all goes back to safety. It all goes back to education, creating and and also um, providing the resources for organizations like Confident Girl Mentoring to be able to help our future leaders, you know, be the best that they can be um, with unlimited resources. So that's another thing, too, is pouring into organizations that are really doing the critical work. Um, in our community to bring up and raise awareness for our young people.
1: You said safety, You're making safety. them safety. Uh, is that a, a, a common theme? Is that something that these are, the kids just don't feel safe?
4: Kids don't feel safe. Um, I can't speak for all kids because and I can't say that all homes are broken because they're not have some wonderful, loving homes. But some of the kids that I encounter don't come from those spaces. And a lot of our kids, they come to after school programs because they want to feel safe because they need a meal, you know, and I'm not saying that that's Everywhere across the board. I'm just talking about some of the kids that I engage with. There are some amazing young people in the organization who are now peer mentors for the younger kids. And there are some amazing young girls that have a heightened sense of self-confidence and self-worth that are uh, that provide resources even to myself. And it just also helps me heal. You know, and I just love those kids. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how do you know that maybe you're turning the corner with a, with a young lady that, uh, like you said, she showed up and she didn't feel safe and she was dealing with some trauma. And how do you know that you're, you're maybe seeing, uh, you know, the uh, the light not at the end of the tunnel, but maybe a light to go follow.
4: Uh, when kids are asking to. Uh, engage in programs like mm-hmm. when they're saying can I lead the program today or can I be in the middle for our at the end of our confident girl circle or you know how about this and when they start asking questions and when they want to do things that lets me know that it's working You know, we often create programs without having our young people in mind, but once we start asking our young people what they want, we get better results and create programs centered around their needs versus what we think they need. Kids will tell you. Kids, excuse me, kids know when, you know, they can trust you and, you know, kids know what they want. It's about listening and engaging with them on their needs.
1: Our guest uh, this morning, if she'd like some water while she's <laughs> taking a break here, Tiffany Lewis from Confident Girl Mentoring uh, with us here on Buffalo, What's Next? Uh, you did. Um, you mentioned uh, circles. Uh, are the sessions all group sessions? Are they one-on-one? Is it a combination?
4: It's a combination of both. Okay. Um, Confident Girl Mentoring, we are a group mentoring organization, but we do provide one-on-one um, mentoring services to the, uh, to the young girls. Um, ages 7 through 19 is pr- our primary population. We primarily service girls, but boys get jealous. So we <laughs> do have co-ed programs oh boy. <laughs> like our sports program. It's our Jump for Confidence program, okay. which is the only competitive jump rope program um, in Western New York.
1: Yeah, I did see some of that on your on your on your website. There's some impressive uh, efforts there by yes. some of these young ladies. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yes, these young people are so amazing. They're so talented, but it takes people like myself and others to bring those um, things out of our young people. And kids come in not even knowing how to jump rope, but then they leave knowing four or five tricks. And it's just so amazing. We have a competition every year. It's fully funded by our Ralph C. Wilson Legacy Funds, um, um, affiliated with Community Foundation, and they they pour resources in, you know, because they also understand and they believe in the vision as well. So, and we created a National Day.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about that because you you you, <laughs> Tiffany Lewis created the National Youth Confidence Day.
4: Yes, so National Youth Confidence Day. Um, there are so many things that our young people um, don't have, and I I created this day to give them another sense of purpose, another sense of hope. Uh, the day is celebrated annually, October 20th. Out of 18,000 applications, our application was chosen and selected. Um, as a national day to provide those healing supports for our young people. And um, this year we actually took it on the road. Really? That was always the goal of it is to celebrate the day um, in different cities and states. And it's a national day, so it's celebrated nationally. Um, this year's theme was reimagine confidence. How do you reimagine confidence? And you can of Memphis, um, they actually won um, a grant, which was also provided by um, Keybank um, Foundation to be able to have this amazing day for about a thousand kids in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, it was phenomenal. The energy was great, and uh, the young people really, really understood what it meant to be confident.
1: <laughs> I think you described it as being on fire. <laughs> on fire. <laughs> um, you know, uh, just talking about these different things, you also have a, a couple of tips that you wanted to, to share here. Um, why don't you go through that a little bit uh, to maybe help some people understand kind of the whole complexity of what you're dealing with when you're trying to mentor these young ladies?
4: Yes. So um, if we can imagine what a healed and thriving community would look like for our young people, um, there's some things that we need to understand on how to create a safe and inclusive um, healing space when kids are faced with trauma. And one thing that I can say is, one, kids feel safer when they're connected to a trusted adult. Um, I don't want to throw that word around loosely. Trusted means trust. Um, Also that... So it
1: may or may not be a parent.
4: It may not be a parent. This young girl that I had encountered over six years ago, she was tall. I was a complete stranger, but she saw something in me that created that trust. She was able to open up. Um, Another thing is create a sense of belonging. Kids want to know and feel like they belong. You know, when we create those type of environments for our young people, then they're easily accessible to opening up more, you know, engaging more in conversation. And three is creating a culture of open communication. So, again, as I said earlier, shifting that conversation from what's wrong to what do you need that actually gets kids from that fight, flight, or fight response. And it lets them know, okay, wait a minute, they actually are concerned about me. So creating a healing, um, thriving space for our, our young people really starts with those three things. is listening, trying to understand, not listening to respond, but listening to understand um, is another thing. And also um, hope, like hope. Like, for black and brown girls, there's a lot of talk about confidence. You know, but what about hope? Hope for what, right? right. Hope for, you know, what we can do and see um, and be seen doing. Um, hope for the world with all its inequities, injustices, and oppressions. It's really hope for them.
1: Those inequities and oppressions, does that come up in conversation? Does that, uh, is that something that's on the minds of a 12-, 13-year-old girl?
4: Yes, Really? <laughs> yes, it is. And what do they say? It's it's more like, you know, why can't I fit in? You know, mm. why is this happening? You know, why are we targeted? You know, why
1: do you hear have you heard um Oh yes. I mean there's lots of oh, yes. trauma. There's when a lot get, of trauma centered around
4: violence. Oh five fourteen and before five fourteen, you know, violence, you know, is is something that I I I'm not a t- total expert. you know, I can only talk about lived experiences and, and what my education has taught me, you know, about those oppressions, you know and how can we bring those oppressions or or try to end those oppressions with our young people? And it really goes back to education. You know, it goes back to getting those books out of the Confident Minds Library and and reading those books and stuff too and and talking with our families about our oppressions and what we're going through and what we've been faced with over these uh, many centuries.
1: Twelve-year-old Tiffany Lewis, uh, were those weighing on your mind? Oppression, inequity, was that weighing on your mind when you were 12?
4: No, I think what was weighing on my mind at 12 years old was... um, How do I get healing for the things that I have been going through? How do I speak out? You know, 12 year old Tiffany, um, you didn't have anybody. You You didn't have anybody to talk to. I mean, I could, I trust my mom, you know, but how can 12 year old Tiffany go to my mom, to her mother, and say, oh, she's hurting? You know, although I trust my mom, you know, I didn't really have another outlet because I never want to disappoint my mom. I never want to see my mom hurt. And I knew because of the love that my mom has for me, if I'm hurting, she's hurting, you know? So I didn't want to put my oppressions (laughs) on my mom. Um, Sounds like 12,
1: even when you were 12, you had a great sense of responsibility on <laughs> your <did>. shoulders <laughs> I, I,
4: at 12 years old my brother was sick you know i had i i knew early on that my mom needed help and i had to be that great daughter you know for not just my mom but also for myself too and having those principles helped me now in my adult years to be the best person that i know how to be
1: most certainly, are doing some impressive work here. Um, we're coming down to our final moments, and I just—I uh, don't have to ask you if you have hope because I—I you—you—you uh, radiate it uh, from the moment I met you this morning. Um, but at the same time, what about our city and our community? You—I know, you, you ha- think—I think you have that feeling that if you can deal with a, a young person one-on-one, you can make some some progress and help. But what about this community? What do we need to do moving forward?
4: Moving forward, I believe that we as a community need to take these real issues that our young people are facing, we need to carry them on our shoulders and provide real tangible results and supports to our young people. We need healing.
1: Tiffany Lewis. Is going to help in any way she can with confident girl mentoring. Check him out online and on Facebook as well. Tiffany, thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Only-N, and WUBJ Jamestown.
2: It's a stage of life that affects half the population. But there's still one place where menopause is barely talked about or understood – at work. From WAMU and NPR in Washington, this is 1A. Hi, I'm Jen White. Today on 1A, Menopause and the Workplace. The menopausal transition most often begins between ages 45 and 55. It means hot flashes, no sleep, depression, and hormonal imbalances. And while we're pretty aware of what hormones do to teenagers, we don't really account for them when it comes to older adults. And at work, menopause may as well not exist, but that's not the case in other countries. Are businesses here ready to adapt? And what can all of us better understand about the stigma that still comes with menopause? That's all ahead on 1A.
1: Live
5: from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dwayne Brown. Walmart has agreed to pay more than $3 billion to settle lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. From North Carolina Public Radio, Bradley George reports the settlement is the result of negotiations with attorneys general in more than a dozen states.
3: North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein says the money will help people suffering from opioid addiction get treatment and recovery services. Walmart would be required to implement new measures to prevent fraudulent or suspicious painkiller prescriptions. The deal must still be approved in 43 states before it can take effect. The company says in a statement that it strongly disagrees with allegations that its pharmacies fueled opioid addiction and the settlement does not include any admissions of liability.